This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mama told me, son, go and play in the yard. Papa said, go and play. You gotta break your stomach. Go and scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta burn your stomach. And welcome to it. Welcome to Inside the Yard after really an eventful few days for the Baltimore Orioles after they uh, won just a game of four in Buffalo against the Blue Jays. But big picture, a lot was going on, including several moves spun by general manager Mike Elias at the trade deadline. Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold. And Jeff, uh, what was your big takeaway from the weekend that had a lot of big moments on the field, a lot of tough moments for the Orioles, but big picture, there was a lot of positives there too. For so many, to be honest with you, I think the one is that, man, we have played a lot of one-run games, and there are zero uh, non-high-leverage situations for this team right now. I mean, every when, when, my, when Brandon Hyde said it the other day about how there's not a whole lot of spots to bring somebody in that isn't a high-leverage situation, it felt like every single moment was a high-leverage situation until maybe you got to that point in the game on Saturday where – Cesar Valdez came in, and while he was a bright spot over the weekend, it was just a lot of really tight games over the entire road trip, and you're continuing to slot in different pieces that are still gaining experience and working in end-of-game or tight-game situations. I wasn't terribly surprised, I guess, um, with, with some of the moves at the deadline. We knew that Castro might go. We had a pretty good sense that Michael Gibbons was probably – going to go just because he has that extra year of, of arbitration so he would be uh, pretty valuable to a team the Rockies are in the middle of a playoff chase and so it made sense that he would go there the Mets are trying to upgrade their bullpen so Miguel Castro went there maybe we'll see Miguel Castro at some point in this upcoming series but I think that they continue to add value to their farm system which is important and while we only know three of those that Mike Elias traded for by name adding a couple more position players, which is something that has proven to be a pretty high priority for his organization. I think that's a good thing because uh, when you look at areas that need some help and need some depth, um, that's a spot where it, it really stands out. So I, I like the deal that they made for, for Michael Gibbons, and it seems like they got a good reliever as well from the Mets in exchange for Miguel Castro. Yeah, it's interesting. You went from – Without a doubt, I would say infield minor league depth being the weakness when Mike Elias arrived it is now based on the last two drafts, plus what they've added recently, being one of the strengths. Now, the reality is several of their key minor league uh, infield prospects are years away. And before Mike Elias got here, it was, you know, Adam Hall, uh, Caden uh, Grenier, some other names like that, uh, that were at least in the mix. And some of those names are still hanging around most prospect lists. But if you look at the uh, depth that's been added with Jordan Westberg and uh, drafting a bunch of bunch of guys over the last few years, Gunnar Henderson, and then what they've added, it's now turning into a strength, although I'm not sure if any of them are, are knocking on the door in the next year or two. 
I don't think they are. I mean, it seems like Nevin would probably be the first baseman at AAA next year. Vavra was the MVP of the South Atlantic League. Maybe he goes to to A ball next year. Maybe he goes to double A ball. That's something that you have to sort out if you're Mike Elias because you lost that year of development. So you get your work in the offseason. Do you send the person up a level where they would have been had 2020 been normal? Or do you keep them on a development track but realize that it might take a little bit longer for them to reach the, the major leagues? That's not an easy question to answer, and that will be an interesting one. But, yeah, I think the, a lot of the death is still a little ways away, but you're, you're still building for the future. You are in year two of this rebuild process. You have some pieces that were intriguing to other teams. And if the value is there, Mike Elias has shown that he's going to pull the trigger. And for Michael Gibbons, that was the big problem and why he was not dealt previously. Michael Elias had said that I've gotten calls about Michael Gibbons since I arrived in Baltimore. But it was only the deal with the Rockies that finally showed that this is a comparable deal to what Gibbons' value is. And he was really good for the Orioles out of the bullpen this year. So I think that made it the right decision. You're able to get a couple of players to be named later for Tommy Malone, who let's not forget was a minor league free agent sign who was added to the Orioles 40 man roster one week before the season was supposed to start and threw the ball as well as he has in some time. So to be able to flip him to the Braves and get a couple of prospects as well, that's been really encouraging. And that's what you're looking to do when you're in the middle of a rebuild It creates some question marks for the Orioles, especially in the back end of their bullpen, which we'll talk to Kevin Brown a little bit bit about this and get his take on on what you do because it's very much a, I don't know, but it's evaluation time. It's a chance to see what pitchers can maybe throw in high leverage situations and do a good job there. There are going to be a lot of guys that will get chances because that's all the games that the Orioles seem to be playing in right now involve all high leverage situations. But it will also probably mean that you'll see some of the prospects from the alternate site getting a chance to come up to the major leagues. And one of those most likely is going to be Dean Kramer at some point. Yeah, that would be exciting. Uh, well, let's get into all of it, all the happenings for the Orioles, both at the deadline and uh, some of the big weekends we saw from Ryan Mountcastle, Dylan Tate, Keegan Aiken. Uh, we have Joe Trezor coming up from Orioles.com. And then we'll have Kevin Brown, Orioles broadcaster, in for our insider segment right now here on Inside the Yard. And on this edition of Inside the Yard, making his first ever appearance, Joe Trezza from Orioles.com. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. This is very exciting. Well, it should be. We're, we're a fun group to talk to, we think. <laughs> In all honesty, I've really enjoyed you guys on the broadcast this year. Really, you guys are doing a great job. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to you all year. I appreciate that. We appreciate that. Let's talk about the deadline. A hectic a few days, all the thoughts and feelings. This could be a, a diminished trade deadline around baseball. That went out the window. Uh, the Orioles, very active. Uh, what's your – I mean, no surprises, but what's your overall thoughts on what the Orioles were able to spin off over the last few days? Well, I, I was surprised by the volume of deals, not only – uh, with the Orioles, but league-wide, um, there seemed to be a ton of activity, and all this trepidation about teams, you know, um, not valuing guys for one month kind of kind of went out the window. Um, and I think a lot of teams looked at it as, like, we're in this thing, and yeah, it's a weird season, and it's a weird playoff structure, but it counts. 
And I think some of the financial uncertainty that teams went through earlier in the year had something to do with that. There's a big incentive to make the playoffs and to do well in the postseason this year. Um, and a lot of teams said, we're in it. And it turned into a seller's market with the Orioles being one of the only clear sellers. So I think that was pretty advantageous to them. Um, I was surprised at the, num at, again, the volume of deals that the Orioles made and the volume of prospects they acquired. If you zoom out, you know, they, they, they acquired nine prospects in the last month. That's a lot of prospects. You know, we usually just rank the top 30 and that would be, that would be about a third of, of the team's ranking. So um, that's an unusually large haul. Um, you know, the weird thing is that six of these guys are nameless at this point. Um, so we don't really, you know, it's hard to assess a, a, a bundle of prospects that where you only know three of the guys who are actually in it. Um, but, you know, for, for a rebuilding team and for a team that was obviously going to sell, um, I think they have to like uh, the volume that they acquired this year. And then some of the guys that they do know um, are pretty highly touted. Um, I especially liked the package for Michael Gibbons. Um, I thought you get two pros you get three prospects, two of them being pretty highly touted position players, which are not easy to come by for, you know, an accomplished reliever, but a setup reliever at the end of the day. Um, and that's, that's how the market typically views a guy like Givens, whereas, you know, uh, for Orioles fans, he might have some added importance and, and, and some added prestige, but to the league at whole, he's a pretty good accomplished setup reliever to get three prospects and two of them are highly touted position players for that. Um, that's, that's, that seems like kind of a steal. So um, yeah, I thought it was a fascinating couple of, couple of days. And I think that the Orioles farm system is going to look a whole lot different next year. And that, and that was kind of the point. When I take a look back at what maybe didn't happen yesterday, a lot of people were talking about Alex Cobb might be on the move. Uh, personally, just looking at his contract, I didn't feel like he was going anywhere. Did you feel the same, and were you surprised at all when he ended up staying put? No, I, I was totally with you. I thought that contract was prohibitive um, for a few reasons. One, Alex Cobb, although he's having a, a decent little bounce back season, he's proving that he's healthy. He really has only been about an, a league average starter this year, um, and, and not much more than that, even when he's been good. So he's not somebody that, you know, I think was uh, – was a necessity for a lot of teams or, or a target of a lot of teams. I thought he fit in to maybe a super contender, you know, like the Dodgers for depth purposes, maybe, but really the number of suitors for a guy like that, for that kind of money, probably pretty small, even in a normal year um, this year, not being a normal year, I thought that pool was going to be much, much shorter, uh, smaller. And, and it was. Um, and then the other thing was, it, it seemed like if the Orioles were going to move him, they would have to kind of swap out his contract for another one, um, which isn't something that really helps them at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't see them, them dealing Cobb with any, I really didn't take any of that kind of that, all that seriously. I was a little surprised about Miguel Castro, just because I'm very intrigued by um, this dynamic this year, where you know, basically how teams are going to evaluate breakouts, especially in the bullpen, which is a really difficult thing to do in a normal size season. You know, reliever statistics are so volatile, notoriously volatile from year to year, where you have one guy who can have a great, an accomplished reliever have a great season one year, and he turns into a completely different pitcher the next year. And the league has been valuing relievers in that kind of way where it's, they're unpredictable. Now this year you have, especially in the Orioles bullpen, a lot of 
young pitchers who had really good starts. So the question is, how real are those starts? You know, how real is the improvement? Where's the regression back to the mean? When will it come? And how do the Orioles answer those questions? And how do all the teams that are asking for these guys answer those questions? So that dynamic was super interesting to me. And it seems like, especially with Castro, there was enough of um, intrigue there for a team like the Mets to take a flyer on him. Yeah, there were a lot of rumors about maybe Jose Iglesias for obvious reasons, given his health this year, hard guy to move right now. And also Hanser Alberto, not that they couldn't move those two this coming off season and they might, uh, they have a fairly reasonable option on Iglesias. But when you look at the Orioles farm system right now, although they've acquired, including over the last few days, a ton of infield prospects and, and really through the draft over the last two years, those guys for the most part are not knocking on the door right now. And you do have to send someone out on opening day next year to play second, short, third. Uh, they seem to have a lot more right now depth at pitching, in bullpens, catching, outfield a ton. But as far as infield depth, and, and then you look at Alberto, given his age, and, and he may have as much value next year at the deadline. So were you surprised that those guys weren't moved? I wasn't for a few reasons. Um, I, I think Alberto has become such a uh, – he, he's been so good for so long now that he's, he's less of a pleasant surprise and more of – you know, the kind of find that a team like the Orioles has to has to make and, and hold on to at this point. Um, I think that your point about the infield depth at the upper levels prospect-wise is correct. Um, the Orioles don't have a lot of that at the moment. They didn't have a lot going into this year. That might have changed if there was a triple-A season. You know, guys like Ryan and Bannon might have, might have gotten more, you know, but they probably would have been close at this point. Um, some other guys might have been in the mix, but without a minor league season, that really hasn't changed um, very much. And I, I think that they're, you know, these guys are regulars for the Orioles now. I think they have more value to the Orioles than they would to whoever they would be traded to, especially a guy like Inglesias, who we just talked about, you know, breakout and short sample size statistics. His, you know, it, it stands to reason that the rest of the league would look at his hot start offensively a bit more skeptically, given uh, his offensive history in the past. Um, and a team that might target him would probably be a contender that would that would be looking for a veteran bench option. And maybe you don't, if you're the Orioles, you don't get that impact prospect um, in return that you might want. So I wasn't surprised that Iglesias stayed. And Alberto, you know, I've never really bought a lot of the trade hype on Alberto. It seems like he's such an anomaly in terms of skill set that there really aren't many precedents right now for teams going out. Like how, like how teams value that is kind of a mystery is what I'm saying. The high contact, low walk, hit machine of the, you know, of, of yesteryear that Alberto has kind of become. There isn't really a precedent for how teams value that and what they'll give up for it. Or, and there isn't really a precedent for, or any proof that teams kind of buy it. You know, there, there's a lot in there in those numbers that teams can look at and say, okay, well, this guy's a regression candidate. He has not regressed. And I think the Orioles are, um, have been smart to hold on to him for that reason, because they see value in him that other teams don't. But that's why I kind of never thought of him as a real uh, candidate to leave. He just, in, in short, he means more here than he does other places probably. What do you assess the value of Renato Nunez as being right now? Because you assume that you'll have Trey Mancini back next year. 
You've got Ryan Mountcastle, who is in the outfield as well. You could always slide him to first base. Nunez has got a lot of power, and I'm sure there would be teams intrigued by what he can do from an offensive standpoint. Where does he kind of fit in maybe going into the offseason and maybe going into 2021? Yeah, I heard a little more I, – I heard his name a little more actually last year at the deadline than I did this year for whatever reason. I think um, the power that he showed last year was a bit of a surprise um, to teams around the league, and there was an appetite, you know, for how that could fit in more of a reserve role, right, in like a somebody who could impact a game off the bench. Um, I do think that he needs to play more defense to really enhance his value. Um, you don't really see a lot of – DH is being moved or, um, or or really really valued in the marketplace unless they're great hitters, which which Nunez is you know his hit tool isn't isn't really there, um, and while he's shown some power last year and this year, if you look if you kind of zoom out from like a league wide perspective, you know, a lot of guys hit 30 home runs last year, um, more so I think than any year in major league history. So while there is value in that to the Orioles lineup and and Nunez has been one of these sleeper finds that we talk about when, you know, when you look at his numbers relative to the market, it doesn't really look like something that the market would necessarily value all that highly. It might be another situation where he's more valuable to the Orioles than he is uh, to another team. Now, if he, you know, plays more defense, I think that would help things out. Um, That that would change the calculus a little bit and he's going to, Um, but you know, looking forward, it's not a bad thing to have that kind of depth either. Um, if you have Trey Mancini back in the fold, um, Ryan Mountcastle as another corner type, who's going to get, he proves who's at bats the Orioles are going to prioritize, you know, having Renato Nunez in there to, to mix and match different situations or to get some at bats off the bench or to play a bunch of different positions if possible. Not the worst thing in the world either. Last one for me, Joe, and obviously for fans, they've been clamoring for Ryan Mountcastle when you have a quick spurt like he's had. It, it kind of validates what fans' hopes were. Same even goes for Keegan Aiken yesterday. I mean, I thought he looked really sharp, and, you know, he's not a top, top prospect, but he's someone everyone has followed for a while. Second-round pick back in 2016 has led a couple of leagues in strikeouts, and he looked really good yesterday. And then Harvey's up and, and back. But who's next? I mean, that's what fans are thinking over this final month, especially when your seller's at the deadline. Who could it be, uh, and and when could we see it? Yeah, I think the next guy up is Dean Kramer, um, and I think you should see that within the next few weeks. Um, uh, this was a guy who was always kind of on track to debut with this wave, you know, this kind of first wave of prospects that, it, that Michael Elias inherited, the Kramers, the Akins, the Mountcastles, and then – it feels like there's a second wave behind that. That's kind of these like new, the new Oriole prospects. And now they seem to be su- supp- supplementing that with a new wave that you're seeing acquired at the deadline here. But I think Dean Kramer is that guy. Um, obviously, you know, at this point, he's kind of the headliner in the Manny Machado deal because, because Diaz has kind of plateaued a little bit um, in terms of status. But Kramer's been extremely solid since, um, since joining the Orioles system. He's been kind of like a, he was kind of a sleeper guy in that deal. And he's, He's really progressed um, quite smoothly, um, reaching AAA last year. And I think the plan for him originally was get at least half season, maybe three quarters of a season again at AAA, and then debut in September. 
obviously that didn't happen without a minor league season, but he's, he's been at the alternative training site for a while. You know, he's got, he had a bit of a groin injury early on that delayed his, um, his arrival there, but he's been really solid and reports have been really good since recovering from that. And, you know, Michael Elias has kind of thrown his name in there all along with um, Mountcastle and Aiken as guys you'll probably see this year. So I don't really see any reason barring an injury that he's not up here in a few weeks, at least, um, especially with all the pitchers that the Orioles, um, you know, traded away at the deadline, there's a lot of opportunity. And what, you know, I don't know exactly what that looks like though. Is it like Aiken where they give Kramer a few relief appearances to get his feet wet and then a few starts to finish the year? Maybe. Um, does he get plugged right into the rotation? There's a spot start, you know, that's a possibility too. Um, but I think they're good. He's going to be handled cautiously just like Keegan was yesterday. I don't think the Orioles are going to push him too hard, but I do think there is a, a really good chance that he at least gets his feet wet in major leagues here in the last, what is it, month of the season? Yeah, exactly a month. Well, that does it, Joe, for us. Uh, we appreciate so much. Uh, thank you uh, for popping on today. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. And keep up the good work. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. And now time for our insider segment with Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown. No, not that Kevin Brown, and that joke never gets old. Uh, deadline is coming gone, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm just glad I wasn't traded. Yeah. I mean, all the talk of a subdued or quelled deadline, that really was out the window quickly, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I contributed to that. I went on a, on a different Orioles podcast, which shall remain nameless a few days ago. And I said, you know, I won't be surprised if the Orioles don't do anything. And they did a lot of things instead. Um, it was, it's still, and it still is such an unusual year that um, I just didn't know it was going to happen. I don't think anybody knew it was going to happen. But at the end of the day, I, I feel even stronger about the direction this team's going in. I know it's not necessarily going to lead to – the wins and losses some folks might want the rest of the year, but like, I commend Mike Elias for not seeing, you know, the shiny object that was the Orioles first 25 games or so in front of his face and saying, Oh, let's go chase that. I mean, is, is he's deemed it, this fits with the strategic plan of the organization. I'm going to miss seeing some of these guys. I mean, Michael Gibbons was awesome this year. Miguel Castro for the most part was so fun to watch he just started to show up on pitching Ninja twice a week with some of his changeups and sinkers and just absolutely freakish stuff. But, um, but I, I, I look, none of us have seen, you know, any of these guys who are coming back outside of maybe here and there in the minor leagues for, for a series or two, but just from the reports we get and from the vision Mike Elias has, I, I feel pretty good about where the Orioles are um, compared to where they were 48 hours ago. How do you think the back end of the bullpen will look and how will they navigate everything now that you don't have Gibbons and now that you don't have Castro? People are going to um, find this podcast in audio form only, right? Yes. All right. Yes. So I'm shrugging. You can't see that, but I don't know um, because it's not just that, right? It's also the guy who was the closer has had a couple of high profile blown saves in recent days. Um, I think Hunter Harvey is the guy and I think it's great to have him back. And maybe that coincides with some of these trades that you feel more confident that you've got the guy who was your lockdown reliever from the time he came up last year. 
looks like Dylan Tate is going to get a shot to get high leverage innings. And he's been very good against righties this year. And the stuff has been pretty strong. So why not? I think Tanner Scott is, is probably the, the biggest back end piece along with Harvey right now. And then Paul Fry has been really strong too. And hopefully the Orioles can get Sean Armstrong back sooner than later. So it's not, you know, a barren wasteland. Certainly there's still Scott and Harvey and Fry. I think Salser in one inning stints and in situations where he has mostly lefties has been really effective. And then maybe Armstrong when he returns, maybe Dylan Tate now. Like, this is still a better bullpen than I expected. Um, and I think a lot of folks expected coming into the year. It's, it's not going to be the same without Givens and Castro, obviously. And the Orioles traded Richard Blyer earlier in the year, who was off to a great start. But they survived for a while without Blyer. And I think they will be better than people think. I don't think it'll be, you know, a, a calamitous pit now that, that Givens and Castro are gone. The depth is worse but I like the addition of Harvey and I really, really like the way Dylan Tate has thrown the ball the last couple of outings. He, to me, I know it's a small sample size, but, but he, to me has been one of the pleasant surprises of the year. Big picture out of this weekend deadline aside, the Orioles after several heartbreaking losses in, in Buffalo to the Blue Jays, you have Ryan Mountcastle having a huge series. Keegan Aiken looked really good yesterday. Uh, Jorge Lopez looked good at least for, for several innings, or at least one time through the order. Dylan Tate threw the ball great. I mean, yesterday was the best stuff I've, I've ever seen from Dylan. There was a 97 in there at one point. Uh, when you add all that up, uh, Mountcastle, Tate, Aiken, Harvey comes back. It was actually a pretty productive weekend, big picture for the Orioles. And, and I'll throw in a couple of hits and a game-ending relay start from Anthony Santander, too, who I know yeah. we talk about all the time, but is still a young player. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the right way to look at it. You know, I, I, I kind of thought of this year from day one as, as a fact-finding mission. That uh, sounds a little strange in baseball terms, but basically Mike Elias has a mission this year, and, and the facts he's finding are who's going to be part of this thing in 2023, 2024, 2025? Who's on this team right now that can realistically be projected as – a piece of a contending Orioles team down the line. And I think we're seeing more and more players that could fit that description. Michael Givens had another year and then was probably going to leave as a free agent. Miguel Castro had an extra year of team control compared to that. But, you know, who is going to be a piece? Who is under team control for three, four, five, six years down the line? You just named a bunch of players that are. And... I think the pieces are becoming clearer. You know, I think the big picture is still a little fuzzy because the Orioles are still in year two of this project, but um, the picture is a little bit sharper as we get in every week. Ryan Mountcastle has looked absolutely awesome at the plate. Again, this is all small sample size, but if he had come up and gone one for 25, we'd be sitting here saying, well, maybe he wasn't ready after all, but he looks dynamite. Santander looks terrific. Hunter Harvey, to have him back, I think in no time we'll be seeing the, the back-end kind of dominance that, that we're used to seeing from him. Um, th there are more pieces here. I mean, if you look at where the Orioles were a year ago, like there are more pieces now, for sure, that look like consistent performers 
and future consistent performers than you know just one September ago today. KB, last one for me. Jose Iglesias, he comes off the injured list. He goes back to producing. What's been more impressive, the way that he has produced offensively since returning or that play that he made yesterday to close out the game where he kind of did a little bit of a Derek Jeter move, picking and throwing home to nab the potential uh, tying run in the 11th? That was the, the most wildly entertaining defensive play I'd seen this year. Like, what was he even doing over there? Uh, it, uh, my first thought was the same thing, and I'm sure a lot of other people had the thought. Like, this is, this is Jeter in, in the 01 ALDS, a guy who is way out of line. It's like Manny Machado a couple of weeks ago tracking down a fly ball in right field in the shift. Um, it's, just a, it's just a smart player, a heady player, a guy whose instinct is – is correct basically every time in the field because that that is not a play I assume that Jose Iglesias has practiced. I don't think that's part of spring training drills. Go run into you know basically foul territory in right field, and uh, and cut down a guy at the plate. But you know to a degree, even if we didn't know we were going to get that specific play, we knew we were going to get that kind of Jose Iglesias defensively. Nobody thought Jose Iglesias twenty games in to his season would be hitting four hundred still. Um, he's just torching pitchers, love his approach. He's aggressive. He's not going to walk much. And, and again, you know, there are going to be weeks where you just hit everything in play and you have bad luck, but I thought he had the perfect approach in the 11th inning in the win first pitch hunting. You're going to get something good. And he slams it for another double. I, I have been bowled over by his approach at the plate and probably even more impressed at the plate because we knew what we were getting in the field, but <laughs> Yeah, to see him hit the way he's hitting and the fact that he hasn't missed a beat since coming off the injured list, uh, it's amazing. Kevin Brown, who will be in uh, doing a radio broadcast this weekend with Melanie Newman on the Orioles Radio Network. KB, we'll see you in town this weekend. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And that is Kevin Brown after uh, Joe Trezza. So, yeah, a lot happening. Big weekend for Ryan Mountcastle. To me, that really stood out. Not just the home runs, but how about the base hits to right field, uh, his approach to the plate, uh, getting on base, putting the ball in play a lot more than I thought. I've been all in all just very impressed with Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah, two balls to the opposite field that were hit at like 101 miles an hour quicker. So the, the way that he's shown his approach and the way that he has – been able to get hit sometimes with two strikes that was something that had been pointed out that I've been really impressed to see where he's been able to put the ball in play I mean, he did that in the game on Friday and if he doesn't then the Orioles don't go to extra innings so uh, you feel really good for Ryan he's still learning to play left field a little bit but I think everyone anticipated that it's going to take some time but you knew that the bat was special and it has been over the course of the the first stretch of games where you have him available. I, always, I also thought that, you know, maybe some of the positioning for Brandon Hyde where they have him in the order uh, where you can maybe, like yesterday, they had Chance Cisco hitting a spot above him. He's one of your best on-base guys. And putting Ryan in a spot where you can hit with men on base and possibly do some damage and drive in some runs. Uh, I think it's really good, and I'm excited to see what's to come for Ryan Mountcastle. All right. Well, we'll talk some pitching next episode with one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball, D.L. Hall, will join us next episode. That will be out on Friday. Until then, for Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander saying so long. Enjoy your Orioles baseball and be safe. Thanks, everyone.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.